We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your host, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Very excited about this episode. Making his triumphant return, Simon Brundish, UK scientist. We had him on last spring. And uh, not to toot your horn or anything, because I think Scott is going to try and shit all over you in this episode. But it, but it was <laughs> one of uh, the most well-received episodes that, uh, frankly, we've ever done in the in the 600-plus pods that we did. So appreciate that. Very happy to have you back on. And Scott is on this episode, which he was not on that first one. Yeah, Simon, welcome, man. I'm, I'm excited to talk with you. Um, not to shit all over you by any means. That is not the intention here at all, because I actually agree with a lot of things that you say. I just like to challenge things and, and know the whys behind them. That's more more so. Um, and, you know, sometimes Andrew gets mad at me when I uh, when I challenge the whys consistently. So it's OK. I think it's good for everybody. I, I love that. Uh, thanks for having me on. I love the dynamic between you two. There's there's little there's little facts, a little science, a little data. And, and then constantly pushing is that true is that true uh what about which angle where's it from and this is really important with science that's what science is no i agree and, and i think in today's age we were just talking about this just you know before we started recording but you know sometimes it's hard to find find out what's true in this world and and you know with all of the the noise of social media and 
Uh, and, you know, with everybody wanting to get their, their thoughts out, who knows what's, what's actually true, what's not. You have, uh, you have the science to, to look back and, and studies at, uh, at things. And when we're talking about baseball specifically, like, I think that is very important. The blend of the two is important, but, but also challenging, like, why we got to a certain place or why we're looking at a certain thing and why it's important to, to consider given what a result is. I think that sometimes people see the analytics or the reasons behind certain things and they just take it for what it is rather than like, you know, diving into it and, and understanding why they got there in the first place. A reason I think it's actually really per- pertinent to the Yankees is because for the past couple of years, a big thing had been the injuries on the Yankees, like so many injuries, all sorts of injuries, like you name it, soft tissue, may, like uh, reconstructions of, of elbows and shoulders and everything. Like from top to bottom, they've had it, foot issues, blah, blah, blah. And two of the big guys, Stanton and Judge, were two guys that the Yankees could not keep on the field on a consistent basis. And if you look at just like the hard facts of last year, those two guys played a lot of games, and that's not something that had happened in the prior few seasons. So say what you want about any of this, but I, I looked at the end of the year, and I think when Simon was on the first time talking about load management, I was like, well, I'll, I'll reassess at the end of the year. And if Judge is on the field for 140-plus games or something like that, I'll have to tip my cap to it. And guess what? He was. So so that that's sort of where I, I came down at the end of the year. It's like, yeah, they kept those guys healthy. Simon, did you see... Did you see specific things throughout the year where you could point to um, where you really saw the Yankees uh, training staff and their philosophy um, coming into play to keep those guys playing? I, I, Bef- Simon, oh. before you go, I, I apologize. Can you we were just talking about the um, knowing truths and who people are. Can you give uh, just your background again quickly for everybody who maybe didn't listen the first time? I think that would be very important for what you're about to say. Okay, so I have been doing this for I'm a sports scientist. uh, So you guys would call it kind of a kinesiologist or you have Cressy. We have Cressy, who's a strength and conditioning coach. So that's that's I'm a sports scientist that does strength and conditioning as a job every day. Um, and I worked in all sorts of sports right across uh, pr- uh, Premier League football, um, ATP tennis tour, um, two world uh, athlete athletic champions. Um, so all, all that kind of stuff. So my day-to-day uh, job is making people bigger, faster, stronger, more robust at staying on a pitch or a court and then looking at the data and the reasons why. Awesome. Yeah, so so specifically specifically to to judge and Stanton staying on the field last year, I thought I thought you know the Yankees seemed to have a plan of attack at the beginning of the season, giving Judge some load management days. I remember a couple of days like they didn't want to play him on the Tampa turf on back to back days and stuff like that, and and it worked towards the end of the season. He was able to stay healthy and and Stanton as well. He started to play the outfield in the second half of the season. Like I know he was dealing with some injuries in the first half, but. When when it comes down to it, the problem for the Yankees in 2021 was not Judge and Stanton underperforming or or not staying on the field. Those two things happened, and I think there needs to be credit to the Yankees training staff for for making that happen. Yeah, hundred percent. And if you look at how it happened, where we, the way we discussed at the beginning of the of last season was um, was that incremental increase right. in in their their capacity to repeat the actions that they do. They're playing baseball, throwing, hitting, running. And then um, whereas people talk about rest, it kind of doesn't really make somebody better, fresher, more ready to play. 
it's the it's the gradual increase like you talk about um uh, historically always talk about in pre-season in uh, um in spring training them them getting their at bats increasing their at bats but what they're doing is increasing that capacity over the f- the first 3 months of the season so that they could sustain the last 2 months of the season where it really really counted and they could play every day so they were they were resting every fifth day during the beginning of the season and um they were, they were never going uh, day game night after night game and they weren't they were trying to avoid back to back so i think they were doing every other back to back and then having a day off and um, we were hearing things of uh, Stanton's little niggly injuries, but they were just soreness. It was just muscle soreness and gradually building up his tolerance to, to being out there again because they were coming off a season where we played half a season and then the previous season where there were injuries. So they just needed to build up tolerance and your ability to do these things. Right. And one thing that I'm, I know both Scott and I want to see next year is stay and play the outfield more because he was in, he was a beast in the second half when he was playing consistent outfield. So how do you... How do you see that working next year? Like, if I, I hope the plan is not just DH him for the first three months of the season and then have him play in the outfield because that doesn't really help the team. Because yes, we want to make stay and stay on the field, but we also need to have the team win. So how do how do they balance those two things? I I agree with you. He was an absolute beast when he went out there, and it looked like he uh, how you guys say is locked in. He um, I there are sports psychology. Uh, involved in this in that um, you're more in the game in the moment from going out on you don't get to switch off so there's a heightened state of arousal as we would call it in in sports that um, you're constantly in the game so um, there's one you've got like that heightened level of of your nervous system response but secondly there is always opportunities for you to have mini wins So you strike out, yeah, but were you in the right position on that ball? Did you read it well uh, when you're in the field? Did you make a good throw? Did But not even just the big things you see on TV. Were you positioned right? Did you react to the ball at the right time? And did you guess, did you predict what the pitch is going to be? So you've got these mini, mini successes all the time, which help to kind of maybe uh, mitigate and and level out those ups and downs that come in baseball of, of you strike out and then spend the next 40 minutes or an hour and 40 minutes sat thinking about it in your mind. You don't, you just go out there and help your team again. Yeah. Uh, the, so the mental side of it makes a thousand percent sense, right? Like you, you, you're locked in, like you said, locked in in a game, you're the awareness level, you're just in the flow, the rhythm, like all of those things that I think are important for baseball that you cannot, you can't duplicate when you're going down into a tunnel and and getting some some swings during during the game. So so how is the balance for Stanton specifically? Like like Andrew said, like nobody want no nobody wants to see him just DH for the first half. I shouldn't say nobody. I'm sure there are people that uh, DH for the first half and then play both the field and um, and hit in the second half. When they're when they're thinking about load management and they're thinking about making sure that he's uh, they're putting him in the right position or the best position uh, to to be at peak physical condition at the end of the year, which is when when we all need him to be. How how do they account for that? How do they how do they say that? Uh, or, and what's the difference? in when they're looking at saying your repetition being on the field is actually helping your conditioning because you're doing the things that you will be doing later in the year, rather than fully holding you back. Yes, you're getting rest, like the the you're not getting the the quote mileage on your on your feet. 
But at the same time, you're not conditioning your lower half, conditioning your, your body to be in the outfield. So I would have to think that at that point, you're more susceptible to injury because you're doing something that you didn't do for the first half of the season. How, how do you balance that? And like when you're thinking about load management, how, how would you go about that? that? That's the piece of it that I don't quite understand because of the difference in activity. I think that we're going to be led down the garden, uh, like the wrong garden path here because of last season, because half the season was spent being a DH and then half was in the field. That wasn't by design. That was by emergency. The Yankees didn't think he could play in the field. And it came to break glass, emergency moment, right? How do we best get? So the, the front office went to, went to the, uh, the high performance team. How do we best prepare him to get him on, on field? And they said, right, so they, they would have looked at lots of different physio- physiological metrics and made sure that they mitigated the risk of, su- of him suddenly making 17 high-velocity throws a game because um, he's not done that. He's not been doing that. Mainly, it will be about throwing and uh, sprints. So that acceleration, because he's not doing that in um, mostly around the bases. He just chugs around the bases. Um, so they would have they would have gone right. Uh, so the chan- the likelihood of him injuring himself are these really high velocity actions, sprinting and changing of direction, and then also throwing. And so they will gradually build up that tolerance over the course of probably four to six weeks. They'd have had to plan before he was ready to to go on field, and maybe he probably went at, at week five, and they built it. They built his tolerance up while he was actually doing that thing on field. I don't think DH over playing in the outfield is a bigger um, load on his on his system at all. I think all it does, it mitigates the chances of him running into a wall. Yeah, which they could just tell him, don't do that. <laughs> like, right, like, I know instinctually it's tough you because could... if you're playing at 80% speed, then you might as well be playing at 0% speed. Like, I, I understand well, and that. you might get hurt right. doing that too because you're doing things a little differently than your, your body instincts but are so, telling like, you to do, right? So you may react You talked about them playing. gradually increasing so he can make 10, 15 throws a game and he can sprint after 10 balls in the outfield. But he basically went from DHing every day to playing the outfield in an instant. Like it was the last the last weekend in, in July, all of a sudden he started playing the outfield and then he did that pretty consistently throughout the rest of the season. So what were they doing in the, in the lead up to that end of July timeframe. If you remember, there was actually a conversation. There was there was those rumors getting leaked out because baseball has way more um, insider information than we get in, in football and soccer over here. We don't get that stuff at all. We only get what the club tells us. Um, but the insider information started to leak out about two weeks before that could he, is it possible? And, and then maybe he was practicing on the backfields or whatever. And so that's when he's starting yeah. to do that sprinting. That's when he's, his practice ramps up to a different level of intent and he starts throwing. He'll be out there throwing anyway with, cause it's fun, like throwing and catching with a, with a pitch is probably just to kind of keep his arm kind of in the game, but, um, without any intent. That's what, that's what baseball players do. Um, but from that moment, he would have, they, they'd have gone at least two weeks. I think it might have been a little bit longer. And he didn't just play every game. He only played two games and then didn't yeah. play. And, and gradually over a month, he started to play more and more because I think they, one, needed to see that he could do it because that nobody was sure. And then he started to feel so good about it. They they started to ride it. And, and, good. Uh, and, and it worked. It and, yeah, brilliant. And I think everybody benefited from it, in, himself included. 
um, without really great, greatly increasing the risk because they did it in a progressive manner. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Some people have this opinion. Do you think guys like Stanton are like too strong and powerful to play baseball? No, I think if you look back, uh, um, so he gets compared to compared to like Dave Winfield or um, I'm terrible with names. Who's the huge guy that used to be a first baseman for the White Frank Sox? Thomas. There you go. Um, but like they were huge guys. Frank Thomas is like, but he's like kind of heavy mountain, too. Like not heavy in a mountain, bad way, but he but was that's just like, my point. Yeah, that's my point. So he's carrying a truck behind him when he's running around. So every time he runs, he has to pull that thing with him. And every time he stops, it goes shooting past him and he has to slow it, slow it down again. Stanton and Judge, they are LeBron. They are unique. Yeah. They are game-changing physiological specimens that they are 5'10", athletic, 400-meter runners that happen to be 6'9", 6'7". And yeah. two hundred uh, and three hundred and eighty five pounds or whatever A Rod always always says every time he says Aaron Judge. Um but do you know do you know what I mean? Like yeah, they, yeah. those guys, they aren't they aren't big, they are just bigger humans. Yeah. So their bodies the, the at, scale the scale is the same. They're just they're just larger. Exactly. So there's no reason they like there's no reason they can't um they can't run around like uh, the best shortstop. Like 
Mike Trout might be the biggest version of that character that he is, that that physiological type that he is. And those guys are just uh, of a bigger scale. I mean, Mike Trout's a guy who has not but been what, able to stay on the field the last few years. I mean, I think he's right at the end. Yeah. The um, it's interesting for the bigger bodied guys too because I've I've always um, mechanically I think and would love to hear your thoughts here. Mechanically, I think it, there's a lot of there's a lot more room for error once you get into a a, a, a bad place. I think a bigger bodied guy with the amount of um, you know area that they have to cover, it, there's more room for error, if you will. Um, isn't that the case on the training side as well? Because you you know if 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 Judge or Stanton were six one, they don't have the additional weight that's carrying them. So when uh, an injury occurs or when there's a possibility of an injury, there's there's little room for error, right? There's a lot because of the weight and because of the impact on their body because of how big they are. Doesn't that scale at some point uh, increase the amount of risk for their injuries as opposed to someone a little bit more nimble who's six one that doesn't weigh as much? And I would think that the weight itself alone would be one of the the reasons behind that. But perhaps I, I get what you, say, what you I see where you're going, but I think there's a like um, there is like a a, a force um, is mass times velocity, right? So so these guys, the baseball players, they can move fast. Whether it's Frank Thomas. And he's a bit, he's a lumbering guy that jogs up the, up the line, but he can create huge rotational forces super fast. Or Judge and Stanton, who can do all of those things super fast, right? But those guys, they don't have the extra mass that, that is inactive. So they don't have to calm the inertia, that, that, that forward movement, because it all stops when they need it to, because it's active, it's muscle. If that makes sense, right? So they don't have to create the the um, the power with their muscle, and then also slow slow down that momentum that is uh, Ortiz for for yep. a, a good example. Yeah. Yeah. Once, once he gets that weight, example. once he gets that weight change, because it's all hitting is about is about uh, weight change and creating creating torque, but also managing to snap your wrist so it's perfectly locked as you're hitting the ball mm-hmm. and you're transferring that weight all the way down up and then back down into your, uh, down into the ground right so if they're getting the, the uh, well-timed um, weight change forward it's, it's that huge mass that's moving but they can they are in, in perfect control of both the acceleration and the deceleration if you're a big fatty you don't control the deceleration all you're doing is hanging on for dear life yeah 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 so it's because of their conditioning. You're saying at that at that size, whereas uh, uh, Ortiz, which hopefully does not get into the Hall of Fame and is a fat slob, has the ability to uh, that they cannot uh, effectively stop his his the uh, the the transfer of weight yes, like exactly. a Judge or a Stan. Even even though it's still more than a six one player, it's still relative. Relative to, that six one uh, player yeah. is doing the same thing with their body that the six seven player is doing if you're Judge or Stan with their body. So, sounds exactly like, that but but i mean i guess then it's just like outdated thinking by people where they see it's like oh judge is, is bigger than all the other baseball players and he's getting injured a lot so that must be why it's just like he's too he's too big to play a sport that is like baseball which is like a lot of small things repetitive over the course of 162 games 180 in 162 games within a 180 day span like 
it's not the same kind of grind as some other sports, but it is a grind nonetheless. At, at some point, does the weight come into play, like for for joints and and uh, like you know, r- running on Tampa Tampa concrete? Yeah, what's that about? Like, what example? What there. is this like with like? Oh, Judge can run on the Yankees outfield dirt, but he can't run on the Tampa turf. Like, is that are they is that overblown? It's just bad to run on concrete for anything. But it's not concrete. It is it's bad to run on concrete. But it's not concrete. It's that, it's that like rubbery turf, right? It's not literally – it's not like the old Astrodome where it's green spray paint on concrete. That's not what we're talking about. Like it's soft. We, we call it we call it 4G in England. So it's it's got rubber chrome on it. It's got yeah. like literally car tires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean a lot of NFL yeah. teams have those. And I'm bas- I think a lot of the new baseball teams um, indoor outdoor facilities. Most, most, yeah, it's, it's pretty yeah, standard. It's now. standard, especially for, so, indoor so the research, the research would go that you're more likely to get lower limb injuries by, uh, playing a sport on that than on grass. Interesting. Like there are lots of reasons why, but, um, one of them is to do with, um, the, your footwear and how it grips and then, and how it turns, um, compared to on grass, we're just better on, on actual real turf. Um, at, it's, it's a more natural movement, I think. Um, no one's entirely sure why, but it but it's about forty percent more likely to tear your ACL on astroturf than on that's uh, huge. on field turf. So what the hell are all these teams yeah, yeah, doing yeah. with astro like with turf? Like, well, NFL. Look at the NFL. I, look I at know. their ACL rates. Oh, I know that, but it's also their roided out humans running full speed into one another. Like it's like it's a sport designed for injuries. Absolute madness. <laughs> um. I, I also want to talk about like we can go back to to the position player stuff, but like Severino, I'm fascinated by how Severino is going to come back this year because he's basically been out of baseball since 2019, with the exception of a couple innings thrown. He threw a couple innings into the 2019 playoffs. 2020, obviously, he didn't pitch. 2021, I think he threw six innings. So he's he's basically hasn't pitched since 2018. Was his last real season? How, how do you how do they manage that as still we we're hoping can be the one B to Garrett Cole? Yeah, so they will have been monitoring um, his his entire workload of training uh, over that period. So they know right from the beginning of of uh, his shoulder surgery exactly the forces that he's been. Um, He's been working around, working towards and imparting on his on his system, and they're gradually building up those tolerances. So the things that they will have done is on um, they they do an entry and an exit testing, whole physiological battery of tests at the beginning of preseason, at the end of the preseason, and then before the end of the season. So the last thing they do will do a they'll do exit tests. So they will know what the normal strength is for uh, Sevi. And then his force creating capacities and his force force absorbing capacities, but then also the the um, more boring stuff that happens with inside his blood and metabolic stuff. So they'll be able to see at his peak how he metabolizes energy, how he metabolizes waste products from um, so the stuff you would know uh, from four hundred meter runners like lactic acid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you get really, you get a lot of lactic acid response when you're doing a 400 meter run or you're sprinting for a long distance until your legs fill up, right? So that is a cost, uh, that is a waste product of doing something high intensity for a, for a short period of time. And that's what, um, pitching. You get that for, you get that from pitching, pushing off the rubber and stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly that. 
So they'll they will have uh, measurements for um, how his blood how his blood now how his body deals with certain levels of that within his blood. So that's where where we're talking about what is um, a player's ability to throw 150 innings. They will know physiologically what his body did while he was um, throwing 173 innings in 2018. And then they'll be trying to get those physiological markers up to up to a similar level so that you can begin the season again. So they're not flying blind. But would that? That's, I, I didn't realize. Would that be the case though for any pitcher, like uh, throughout a season? These days, yeah. Yeah. So, but like, I guess the complication yeah. here for Severino is he's also coming back from shoulder surgery, right? So it's like, it, 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 it. it but but if you're rehabbing a shoulder, and at that point they're. I, or not shoulder surgery. He had Tommy John, the, and then he, he had a shoulder issue, right? Yeah, but but for a pitcher, for a pitcher, for a pitcher. Oops, sorry. For a pitcher, the um, all of the body stuff that you're talking about, Simon, the it has to go into it because it's the conditioning of your body uh, beyond the injury, right? Like usually that's what fails, isn't it? It's I mean a lot of times a, um, an injury can fail, but in theory, once you get Tommy John, like the elbow shouldn't be as much of a concern if you if you have a, a shoulder replacement. Yes, there's wear and tear, but it's the also the mechanics, the rest of the body, and and what the impact of, I think all of the things that you said and their conditioning and how that affects the shoulder and the elbow and whatever the 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 you know original ailment, the body's got to catch back up and and make sure that it's not putting it those those uh those those areas in a position of weakness again. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. So they'll be looking at metabolically how his body is, so how fit he is, but then they'll be looking biomechanically. So they have three D. Um, modeling so you'll see in computer games yeah do you know what i mean so um they can see like sensors all over the place exactly exactly they used to have uh like little balls all over the white balls and the camera but you don't need that anymore um the cameras are amazing so they'll see exactly where um his his little finger is in relation to his wrist in relation to his elbow and if there's any slight pronation supination here in relation to his shoulder all the way down the kinetic chain and they'll be modeling that against Sevi at his best and the things he was doing at his best to see if there are any small compensations. They will already have, have been measuring um, the um, basically the tension, how much tension and force that each of his um, each of his joints can make in all directions. So that um, that is as close to Sevi being normal as well so there's a whole profile right up from his little from his fingers right up his wrist up his elbow into his shoulder so it's all it's numbers basically yeah, yeah. and they'll yeah. know the baselines of those but it, and also you know i think this um everything you're saying right now it seems like uh going back to uh, another injured pitcher that we had that had the potential james paxton james paxton seemed like he got in he he had uh one injury and then when he came back for it the conditioning or the way that he came back affected his body in a different way and injured himself again. And it's almost like he was overcompensating for something where, uh, you know, from, from the previous injury and the rehab that he would just then go back into a, like a a bad cycle, um, with, with these injuries and, and looking at a current Yankee, I know we're going to talk about Tyone with his ankle, but even the beginning of last year, you know, obviously he had multiple reasons why he had such a long road back, um, for him, but, if you're looking at just mechanics and the way that he was throwing, I mean, he really shortened up that that extension on the back half of his uh, of his windup uh, when, when you know when he's reaching back for the ball. He started like pretty close to 
you know, just behind the shoulder. Whereas uh, in Pittsburgh days, he had full extension. Like that arm was fully extending almost towards center field. And as the season went on, and as it seemed like he got more comfortable, you saw that extension coming back and he stopped shot putting and, and you know, throwing like a catcher almost. Um, so it's, it, I, I assume that was just part of the continuation and, the and just further, how he was feeling along the way. The further you get your at your arm away from your body, the more power you can generate. But also, right. this this kind of goes to the judge judge and Stanton thing as well. With power, the greater the risk there is up the kinetic chain. The further away from the body you get, it's like centrifugal forces. That like you can make more, but there's there's a greater cost to it mm-hmm. on on the the yeah. on the elbow or on the shoulder or on the hip. And this is the same with hitting as well. So that's that's. To quickly go back to the judge and Stanton thing, the judge I think is a greater risk than Stanton just because his swing is so long. It's just so much. It's just, is the length of his arms create an extra level of risk, which I still think is minimal because they're such incredible athletes. But yeah, with so and for the Tyone thing, um, the 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 um, physio- the physical tests that they have of of in real time sleeves being able to see where the velocity is being generated and where the torque is coming from um the what we what we talk about what's traditionally happened in baseball is you look at the outcome the speed or the now we have spin rate so that's an outcome that's an external um factor that's an external test of what so what it's we a result is, it's a result of it's a result it's exactly it's a result and so what they can look at now is the internal of that which is like so from you would be a heart monitor wearing a heart monitor is an internal test of, of your physical physical um work right and so for them it's is so he's getting 97 he was getting 97 before and his lower half looks the same but he is getting more from um, uh, changing from a greater angle in, in his uh, forearm recovery here and following through than from being slightly wider here. So they can they factor all that in, and the cost of creating that smaller angle here is more pressure from here, uh, or, or whatever it is. But they will know exactly the part of their body that it that looks different than how it was before, and so. Just to, just to kind of tie a bow on that Paxton thing is the biggest factor in that it, compared to Seve. Seve's always been a Yankee. So they have all of the data on Seve at his best, at his worst, all the way along. And Paxton didn't. So Paxton came in injured and they didn't have the baseline test to run against him. I guess the same with Tyone, right? What, but what they do have with Tyone is he's, he's, he's been a driveline guy. Mm. So they have all of the data right. from driveline because of Matt. Mm-hmm. Ryan, no, Matt Ryan is a quarterback. He's a he's What's a middle of the road uh, quarterback. Yeah, yeah. What's the Matt guy we have? <clears throat> I, so, while 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 we're looking that up, I I mean, one of the things I was gonna like jump off on this is it's the identification of injuries must be so much more efficient now than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago, right? So, so my mind immediately goes to then why. Why would a guy ever go out on the field injured? Like, shouldn't that be caught before that is ever got to the point? And so, like, you don't risk a deeper injury or underperformance. And, like, a controversial example of this is Garrett Cole's hamstring at the end of last year was was not right. Like, he was hurt. Not saying that's the only reason that he didn't pitch well down the stretch, but it's certainly one of the biggest factors why he didn't pitch well. So... 
couldn't the Yankees have identified that? Maybe they did identify it, and they're just like, well, screw it. Our best chance is still an injured Garrett Cole over over someone else. Fine. If you make that call, you make that call. I'm not saying you're wrong there. But like, shouldn't the identification of these, any dip in performance, any slight changes be identified super fast? Matt Blake is, but you're talking about the pitching coach, Matt Blake. Matt Blake too. Yeah, right? yeah, Matt Blake. Matt Blake. Mar- Marty, Marty Bloke, you know, the, the, his name changed 15 times last year. Yeah, Matt Blake. Um, yeah, 100%. They will 100% have been flagged on his biomechanics. So the high-speed camera alone will have will have spotted that, that there is some change in his fastball um, delivery action. <laughs> he is Garrett Cole. It's the bottom oh, I line. Know, I like, know. He, is, he is the guy. So, so the... The analysts and the sports science team, they can give information. So all our analytics is, is creating information. So we can give information to Matt Blake. We'll have that information that goes, what's, so what's going on here? And I wonder if particularly with Garrett, that it's, um, that his, his mechanics were slightly changing all the time from, you know, June the 11th, um, where he was trying to figure out a way of, of getting the velocity and the the that that same kind of wrist action without hurting himself because we I think we talked about it that if you take away the sticky stuff they have to grip harder yeah 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 yes more so it increases uh, the chances of injury Glassnow, because they have to grip harder. Glassnow's comments about why I mean he credits he says the yeah. reason he got hurt is because of the sticky stuff and he had to grip it harder to get the same command 100%. with velocity I don't know maybe he. It's a it's a ludicrous complaint from someone who was, who was using cheating, something but, that was illegal, but but it but, but it does make sense not wrong. when you think about the actual product. Yeah. yeah, no, he's not wrong. That's probably what it was because he did have to change his mechanics. You're right. The grip of it is. I mean, that's that's going to hit your elbow immediately, right? Especially if you're not, if you put your if you put your if you put your hand on on right the rig, on the wrist uh, the flexors yeah. there, and you squeeze your hand, you can feel it. My elbow hurts just thinking about it. Yeah. So the uh, the these are. These are those things, especially when you're when you're that type of athlete and you're throwing 100 miles an hour and you're you're throwing with the torque that these guys do. Small changes like that can absolutely affect, uh, you know, how your body reacts and doesn't react in Glassdown's in Glassdown's case. So it's really really hard for us to understand what it feels like to be able to throw 95 miles an hour when you're only going about 90. percent And yeah. When, if you go and throw as hard as you possibly can now, you will hurt instantly. It will hurt if you throw as hard as you possibly can. And so they were having to increase their intensity to get a similar outcome because they didn't have the grip. Right. Even, even not even the not even the illegal grip because all of that stuff is illegal. But but the stuff that's that's traditionally always been allowed still the same. It's still that's how they've they modeled over, over the career. So so there was always going to be and there's probably. I was probably a little bit surprised there weren't more injuries, to be fair. Well, I couple that with the baseball changing seemingly every two months. And it's like, this is not the same baseball I was throwing in March. It's not the same baseball I was throwing last September. Like, what the hell is going on here? So um, maybe that was a, a byproduct of, of everything. But I, 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 like you, am not a high-performing athlete, as good as I am at, at sports. Um, but like from my um, experience in tennis – that I can hit a ball on a tennis court, whatever. But those guys, they can feel when when one of their um, uh, strings has lost uh, like one millimeter of movement, and they could feel it instantly. You do something, and they they'll change their grip. Enough. Change. Yeah, 
I mean, the the ten thousand yeah, the yeah, ten thousand yes. hours rule. Like you're going to do something to, uh, for ten thousand hours, you're going to become an expert. You can feel those little subtle changes because you know when it doesn't feel the way it's always felt or the way it should feel. It's like it's an innate so ability 100% that they felt it. it's an innate ability that probably all professional and Olympic athletes have because that's why they're that good. The, the biggest thing for Garrett Cole is to is to one, you know, identify, I think for baseball to identify what will be a legal substance. And if it if that changes at all, if they're gonna add something that's legal that has a bit more tackiness to it than a combination of um uh, you know, the, the things that they're currently using that are that are legal, the rosin and and whatever else. Um so his adjustment though, because his control was greatly affected and it's because the mechanics and he wasn't able to pinpoint like he was, therefore there was extra extra energy, if you will, that's going towards different things, whether it's trying to control the ball, trying to get the same velocity on it, um, trying to get the same bite on a on a breaking ball, all of those things. But his his one of the reasons why he was so dominant, or he is so dominant when he's right, is because he dis- he owns the strike zone. He puts the ball wherever the hell he wants to, and he controls it with his fastball. And then everything else works off of that. When you can't do that, when you're off just a little bit, now you become a lot more of a of a hittable guy and and there's the whole bunch of those guys who could throw hard and not not locate like they want to in the major leagues um so we'll see how his adjustment and I, but when you're when you're look if you were if you were his um if you were working with Garrett Cole in the offseason if you were on his training staff how would you affect for a lack of grip like that would would it just be a repetition of new mechanics and just getting that muscle memory so that the body's feeling good or would there be you know what kind of adjustments would you would you look at um to, to, to counteract a sticky substance. I, I honestly think it's impossible. I think I think it's impossible. Yeah. That, and and given the situation that they're in, I think baseball knows there is going to be some allowance of something, some sticky stuff. But because Agreed. of the garbage that's going on right now, they're not even allowed to be discussing it. So so you're going to get a, a whole ton of premium pitchers getting injured, but by June because they haven't been able to prepare. So it should have been one of, instead of talking about the money, what they should have done is talked about this, got it out of the way in the first round of negotiations so that the players can practice throughout the winter with the new mechanics, with a new whatever I mean, We're talking about equipment here, it's right? Just, like equipment should be, equipment. Should be de- determined and standard and not change at the drop of a hat. Like the baseball... All, like all of this stuff, it's just like it baffles my mind. To be fair, with the sticky shit though, like it's a, it was an illegal substance that like they can still train no, without I'm not the sticky de- stuff, and they understand that they can get a combination of rosin, I'm not, and whatever yeah. they're going to do that's on there. If I'm they not needed defending to. sticky, but the ros- rosin is illegal. The rosin's always right. been illegal. But I'm saying that's the available the products that were that were, no, no, that rosin, were rosin's uh, you know within the gray area that people were rosin's not, not yeah, yeah. illegal. The mixture of rosin the, the, the in the way that you the use lathering, it. Yeah. yes, it yeah, is. But like there's a rosin bag on on the mound, right? right. So it's how of course, you of course use it and and what it, you mix what it, it with with sunscreen or whatever like Clay Buckles was was Pine bathing tar. in to, to before before his starts and stuff like that. But yeah, the the equipment thing uh, baffles my mind, and and like you you cited the lockout, and now it's like so guys can't go to team facilities. They they who knows what they're talking behind the scenes, but like you can't get caught talking to your players, or else that's a violation. And you, there's so many guys on this roster, key guys on this roster, who are dealing with injuries over the past few. Like DJ LeMahieu, his dip in performance was due to a core injury. Like how has he been rehabbing throughout the offseason? and like what's he gonna look like? entering spring training or, or entering the summer. Like, that's a huge factor. Tyone, Tyone came out and said that right when this happened uh, on social media, on Twitter, wherever it was. He he just, like, 
Now I can't talk to the team doctors that I had been talking to that have been working I mean, me they through still, they still this can. long they rehab still... process. I mean, yeah. but they're not supposed to. They're not supposed to, to but you're telling like, me they're not still is, calling each other. They're things. not still meeting. Like, yeah, but that's not. But that's not the same as no, being yeah, there yeah, and yeah, seeing yeah. And, and, right. and reading and reacting and like really, really. I mean, these are these are guys that they it's have gonna to lead monitor, to injury, I, right? I assume, like at a very, it's very gonna high lead level, to more injuries. Probably. Guys thinking they can do something on their 100%. own. Cressy isn't allowed in his building while his players are there. It's crazy. It's so it's so. They're still gonna be trained. Yeah. But it's just it's just stupid. And but you also wonder how much um, that clubs uh, one club is going to be te- one set of agents are going to be telling on the other set of agents and ho- like so. I, I think there's probably some accountability going to be held just through through the utter childishness what they dress up as being competitive um, when when all players at all clubs need to be need to have contact. So. Everybody should turn a blind eye because that's for the benefit of the game and for the individual health of all of the players. And I would be really surprised if there weren't some of those uh, less kind humans that work in baseball, as we've seen that uh, that that see a competitive advantage being being taken by some some of the better players at the better clubs doing stuff that they shouldn't because they are against the rules. And that's what will happen. And so somebody's going to get injured because of that. Yeah. Um, it it's it's a big worry for me in the um, there are a lot of cowboy trainers in America, um, both cowboy trainers and trainers that are cowboys. Um, but they cowboy um, doctors on a they, podcast. Scott, looking at you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry that I know. I, I'm sorry that I'm a that I'm a that I'm a well trained doctor and understand what I'm talking about. Apologize. So you're going to get a whole whole bunch of lads that are, that are going to get stronger. You'll get some. So all, all these trainers get uh, they specialize in something, but you'll get you'll get players that are just friends with a personal trainer. Yeah. Uh, or they met them on Instagram, and I, I hear it and see it so much. An Instagram trainer that they're training with, and they're running on a beach or some garbage. Remember the video of um, Gary Sanchez running on a beach, like he's running in quicksand. It's like, oh man. <laughs> Uh, but it's how he runs it's, but it's not going to make him any faster it's going to make him slower yeah. if that's possible that's okay I don't need Gary Sanchez to be fast that's the last it's, it's one thing he does not need to be good at yeah, it well, is speed but you do need him to be robust yeah. robust is the key so you need him to be able to tolerate super fast movements and that's not what normal trainers do that's what that's what strength and conditioning coaches do that's what athletic development coaching does and having the contact from the club to say this is the this is the velocity profile, what we'd call it. These are the numbers that this player needs to hit. If he's squatting, he needs to be able to squat at, uh, at say say two hundred and fifty pounds at zero point three seven meters per second, because that's where he needs to be at, and that's the stuff that's not going to get shared. So you're going to get guys going just getting really heavy, or getting really tight, or doing stuff that's not baseball specific on the program that we currently have, which has been brilliant last year. I have a question. Uh, you may or may not know the answer to this. Eric Cressy, you brought him up. It's a, a interesting case. He's employed by the New York Yankees, but also still runs a private training facility and works with current athletes. Correct. That's so right. if you're if you're working with Cressy on a private level or you're still able to work with him with no issue because it's not team based but if if yankees were working with him before he was even associated with the yankees are they not able to work with him now because of the association with the yankees exactly. even though they were private clients before 
That's crazy. Yeah. So it's actually affecting them in a negative way from the training side. Whereas, you know, if you're, if you're working, uh, if you play for um, the Seattle Mariners and you were going to Cressy over the, over the winter, you could still can go. Cressy like quit yeah, temporarily. <laughs> can can, can yeah. he get fired uh, just for a couple months? Like, so, so we don't have guys like fucking their, their stuff up. I think I think the ones that work with Cressy already uh, at his at his facility, I think they're good. I think that that he can still he, like his staff can still deliver his programming, and he does have yeah. all of those numbers we're talking about. But he can't be in the room while they're doing it, yeah. and he's not he's not legally supposed to be talking to them. Um, that is just one of those crazy yeah. byproducts, though, that I don't think is getting talked about too much. Is the sense that. Like even guys like Cressy, he's been here for what? That was last year his second year. It was it was his first his first first and a half season yeah. with the team. But but it it takes it takes yeah. time for a plan to get implemented, and then the for, results for, to be seen. Uh, results yeah. to be seen from yeah. that plan. And if you if you cause a disruption like this is over the 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 core period of you know downtime when you're away from a team, that's that's going to have long term effects because. Even even though he's still potentially working with them with other people and giving the communications aren't the same. I'm sure guys are like, you know, maybe not showing up on a day that they knew Cressy would be there, or you know, it's a little bit more lax, most likely, which I, I gotta imagine when you're talking about finely tuned athletes and the the small um changes that they make or, or things that they monitor can have great effect. So Yeah, I, I would I would think the biggest fact in this is that is that they won't whoever they're co- whoever's coaching them won't see those minor minute changes in mechanics from lifting or they might not spot an early injury i think with the yankees that's the thing i'm most fearful of rather than a whole different program because they'll be good Uh, largely the yankees are all very experienced uh, like 26 27 year olds yeah the the um even the pitchers 25 26 there's there's not any many young kids in there and so they'll have their programs embedded it's just that that it's the feedback loop that we're missing. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the the minor leagues, though, they can talk to the teams, right? Because the minors, minor league guys are not part of the uh, players association. So the young guys can still get team representation and team team communication, which which is a good thing. All right. The last thing I want to hit on, uh, the Yankees hiring of Ra- uh, Rachel Balkovic, uh, who's uh, going to be managing the Tampa affiliate for the Yankees. First full-time female manager in professional baseball which is just awesome but simon you mentioned to me you have you know her you know her personally so uh that's pretty cool why don't you tell us a little bit about her and about uh i guess how you know her uh she she has a background similar to mine so one of the exciting things obviously the whole woman thing is uh is is very topical and very exciting that she's coming into um the first the first baseball coach, uh, female baseball coach in in history. Um, it's all very exciting. She was the first hitting coach in history as well, and all of those things. But she's she's a strength conditioning coach. That's her background. She's an athletic coach, and she is getting to be a um, she's on that path rather than what we would call a technical coach, which is the skills based coaches. And so, in my experience of uh, strength conditioning. Um, Whenever there's uh, a congregation of, of strength and conditioning coaches as opposed to skill-based coaches at a conference or anything, there's a, there's a constant um, culture of, of how can we refine our practice? How can we get better? How can we communicate better? How can we 
Um, there's a constant learning process, and I don't find that in sport in skill skill coaches at all, and I definitely don't find that in skill based coaches who used to be professionals. And so this is the beginning of a whole new, um, I think, evolution in in sports coaching. She has she has the the, the technical skills based um, awards, so she's a qualified baseball coach. So. You know, she knows what she's talking about. She played, I think she played Division One um, NCAA um, baseball, softball. I'm not entirely sure of that. But uh, she was a catcher. And so she's played at a high level. She knows that stuff. But she's been around the sport for 10 years, uh, uh, major league, uh, within major league clubs. I think she's worked at the Astros, which is how I know her. Because um, she worked with, there are three English coaches that moved over the, their, their head of performance just after their cheating year, the one they cheated on uh, officially um and so i know three of the coaches that were working there uh, and one at the mets and um and so we did a couple of conferences together which is how I, I i know um but she is uber bright she is a very analytical brain not in the um in the scott kind of uh, pejorative way of analytics but she she wants information but she what she she sees uh, a situation and wants to help fix it and her level of communication will be so completely different than what a typical baseball coaches will be. She's literally taught herself two foreign languages so that she can speak to um, speak to players better, communicate to players better. Um, I'm, I think it's a wonderful thing. It's going to be really, really interesting to see how quickly she gets through. She she progresses through the game, which I think we're probably in a current cultural moment where. If there's a way that she can get promoted quickly, that she will, and rightly, and we want to see women at the at the coalface, uh, 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 the top of the game in all sports, in all parts of society, and I think she has the background to be able to to achieve in a, in a different way than we've seen before. I mean, what you talked about, like her skill set, very analytically driven, very always trying to iterate and get better and clear communication. I mean. To me, that's the perfect person to be managing at the minor league level where you're building a foundation for players that will go up through. I do think there's value in having the the, the skill managerial set at the major league level where decisions are being made that impact the outcome of, of the games. I'm not saying she she can't do that. Like anyone can do it who, who knows a little bit about baseball. However, I see those skills you just described being extra important at the minor league level. She played for University of New Mexico, by the way, um, softball, transferred from Creighton. And she also coached in, a, a, this is something I did not know, but she was uh, during the um, the COVID season when minor league baseball was canceled. She actually coached over in the Australian Baseball League, was part of the coaching staff for uh, the Futures game too. So, you know, she's been getting that that experience on on the, the you know, the baseball side. Obviously, she's been around it for a while. She knows the game. She played softball, uh, very similar strategies, a lot of similar uh, attributes there. Um, but that's exactly where you get that experience too, is in the minor leagues. You get that, you get that, you, you, you look at people that you believe in that are, that are, you know, more of a development case and in, in whatever it is. And, um, you know, they're, they, they have a, a particular skill set and then they, yeah, you develop they, in the minor you know, leagues, expand their not skill in the set. ESPN booth yeah, and then exactly. goes, not in the ESPN also. booth and then go straight to the Yankees major league dugout. No, you, you get a couple seasons in the minors where you can make mistakes and it's not going to be as uh, detrimental. You learn from them. Yeah. Uh, exactly. I think one of the big things about being a, a major league coach of, of any kind in any sport is um, 
you need to have credibility within the planes uh, amongst the players. And that can come about from you being a great player. Um, and that will give you amongst players, depending on which sport, because I think it's slightly different uh, depending on which sport you play, but that gives you cachet. And then you can talk yourself out of that with players or your behavior. But her coming in, she wouldn't have that. And we can pretend we're not in this society that's never had a woman before, but like there are, you're going to be, she's going to find herself in situations that she's perfectly aware of that um, are, are going to be um, with guys that are, ah, she, guys who are 18, 19 this. and 20 years old, who are most likely immature, who don't have life experience where they can say, no, this person is just as capable as, as someone else. So yeah, she's going to probably deal with a lot of that. And, and she's, to, to be fair, she's, she needs to take down her Instagram. That's that's one of the things that will come back to bite her in the ass. Yeah, um, well, the New York Post ran with a lot of those pictures. I, oh, did I they? Could say, I could say that about every every single uh, uh, player on her Instagram. In, in, in some, Clint in some Fraser level, needed sure. to take down his Instagram. He did a couple times yeah, with a couple yeah. of his breakups. He pulled the old, delete all the pictures to, to erase from the archives, but yeah. Is that right? It's amazing. But but consequently, her her I don't think she has the ego that you get from being a major league player, no. and and so she's going to be more receptive to conversations. She's going to be uh, a much better communicator than most men, for a start, just because. Um, and so I, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Cool, good. Yeah, I'm excited to watch her path. I think she's uh, she's been I've been watching it from a distance, and and it's been fun uh, seeing how she's progressed. So definitely excited for that. I think it's going to be. I think she's going to climb quickly. I, I agree with you. I think that um, she's going to have success. All right, Simon. Definitely appreciate you coming back on. Good stuff as always. Um, go follow Simon on Twitter if you didn't already last time at Simon Brundish, and and really appreciate it. We'll we'll talk to you again dur- throughout the season. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate being on. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.